before we begin, a few trigger warnings. I will warn you, though, it gets pretty graphic. Consider this your trigger warnings for bullying, blood, abuse, classism, death, drinking, drug use, sexual content, toxic masculinity, homophobia, transphobia, guns, nationalism, racism, kidnapping, murder, attempted murder, the male gaze, attempted rape, sexism, definitely sexism, swearing, torture, violence, gore, weapons, fragile male egos, and discussions of the host's personal traumas. All of these are part of the actual trigger warnings for the movie Assassination Nation. Well, except for the last one. That one's from us. Dun, dun. I don't want to be your merch girl. I want to be your goddamn idol. And I don't want to have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I... Welcome back, prom party. Oh, 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 welcome back to what this episode's gonna be. Oh, we're getting into some very, very wild and provocative territory this week. Uh, dare I say this is a, this, we're gonna get into some divisive things. Divisive, that's a good word for this. Yeah. I very much think so. Okay. <laughs> so we decided that in honor of Euphoria Season 2 coming to an end, that we would focus on Sam Levinson's feature film, the criminally underseen Assassination Nation. God, I love this movie. I know you love this movie. <laughs> uh, that's also part of it, is there's been so much discussion about Euphoria. There was even the big news break that Euphoria is the most tweeted about television series since Twitter has existed, which... I don't know, part of me thinks that that might be a little bit exaggerated, but regardless, Euphoria is extremely popular and people talk about it all the time, whether it's the provocative storytelling or the striking visuals, and everyone forgets that all of those things are present in Assassination Nation. Yeah, I think of this movie in a lot of ways as like a proof of concept for what Euphoria would be. And Euphoria is obviously an adaptation of, a, I think, an Israeli TV show. Yes. But this movie is... Very, very, very distinctly different in a lot of ways, but a lot of that real distinct Sam Levinson aesthetic and mm -hmm. charm and uh, maybe not charm's not the right word for it, <laughs> um, horror. Right. <laughs> that That's very, very, very apparent in this film. Absolutely. And this is a movie that also, I think, suffered due to when it was released because we did our rewatch and I think this movie might even hit harder in 2022 than it did upon release. Oh, yeah. Um, I guess just to get this out of the way is we're not going to really do like a cultural look back at towards the beginning of this episode because it's 2018. We all remember 2018 pretty distinctly. It was not that long ago. But a few things I do want to bring up is that this movie takes place the year after Charlottesville. Right. And was likely being made or written during that mm -hmm. and it shows. And watching it uh, a year after the insurrection, golly, it hits 
really interestingly. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. But uh, before we dive into that... Welcome to The Morning Announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. This month, we want to spotlight something that we think you will find very, very interesting. The Cosmic Game. The Cosmic Game is an original horror-fantasy audio drama from the immersive production company Drunken Devil located in Los Angeles. A modern twist on classic radio dramas, the podcast tells the story of God and the devil as they try to outwit one another in an effort to gain influence over all Earth-dwelling mortals. Listeners will encounter vampires in New Orleans, ancient Roman tyrants, cults, and demons in this supernatural melodrama. The Cosmic Game incorporates at-home cocktail recipes curated to match each episode for an unparalleled listening experience. The first three episodes are available now wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes releasing weekly. For more information, check out thedrunkendevil.com. T-H-E, drunkendevil.com. So, Harmony, what was your first exposure to Assassination Nation? It was definitely you. Okay, cool. I didn't uh, want to, like, pat myself on the back too hard, but I assumed that it was me. <laughs> yeah, it was It was absolutely you. I don't remember exactly what happened. I I think that it was we were just scrolling and it happened to be on Hulu because this movie lives on Hulu. It has, like, a permanent residency, like Wayne Newton in Vegas. <laughs> and I don't know why, but I'm not upset about it. Right, right. And I think the way you pitched it is, like, Oh, yeah, this movie fucking rules, and that's a pretty good way to sell me on any movie. That's an easy way to get you to watch something, is if I tell you that it fucking rules. Yeah, or or this movie fucks. Yeah. Or <laughs> just anything in that sort of way. Anything in that sort of vein. And, uh, yeah, and I also realized until re-watching it for the show, it's been a hot sec since I sat down and actually watched, watched this movie. Mm-hmm. Because back when we used to do queer monthly events... Where we would have like queer movies on the screen and have queer artists playing and like for music. Um, at the bar I was at back in Cleveland, the side quest R.I.P. This was sort of one of those back pocket films where if mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything else for like a third or fourth movie throughout the night where it's like, well, we watched everything that I had sort of at the front of my mental queue. Mm-hmm. And now there's not a lot of other things that I, I think are good or that are interesting or whatever and it's like well there's always assassination nation tangerine was another one for like an end of night movie where it's like this is a little bit more hard-edged so let's put that on right these are the things that you put on when it's like 11 30 maybe midnight and it's a lot of the a lot of like the i don't want to say like normies that sounds rude but like a lot of the normies have gone home kind of yeah so the people that are left there are kind of the night owls that are not afraid to watch something a little bit more boundary pushing yeah that that said it is a bar it is an event 
people are coming and going. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I forget, because I'm me, that this movie is a little intense for most people. It's a lot and of intense. With context, like the home invasion scene is, is a lot. Without context, it's too much. And I have learned to read a room and had to definitely turn it off <laughs> at least once. Yeah, I mean, as we said at the start of the show, this movie comes with its own intentional trigger warnings, Mm -hmm. and that was definitely featured in the marketing, which at the time, trigger warnings were kind of hitting their peak mockery in Mm -hmm. in media. This is when, the the same way that the right wing has really latched on to things like canceled right now, Mm -hmm. trigger warnings were the canceled of that time period. Oh yeah, this movie uses a lot of terms, and... A lot of very uh, of the time teen slang mm-hmm. that is probably seems really cringy four years later, mm-hmm. but also teen movies are made to be of their era. So I don't see that as a detriment as much as I see it as set dressing, it, it context. It's very important, especially because this movie is also like really spiteful about a lot mm-hmm. of these things. Like these characters are mocking this mm-hmm. at the same time where they're like, oh my God, trigger warning, but like, he's such a faggot. Right. <laughs> yeah, this movie is is playing with a lot of subversion, which I think is really interesting. But, you know, like you said, the language, while we may view it as cringy in 2022, is absolutely accurate for when it came out. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, culture moves so much faster now because we have the internet. Mm-hmm. Things are cool and then they're not cool way quicker. So this was appropriate then, and I know that that's hard for some people to believe because they can't remember what they had for breakfast this morning. Yeah, but isn't that just the fickleness of teendom in general? Exactly. And, like, it plays right into that, and it makes it almost more authentic. Mm -hmm. So let's look at what our friend Dango has to say about Assassination Nation. High school senior Lily and her three best friends live in a haze of texts, posts, selfies, and chats, just like the rest of the world. Their small town gets turned upside down when an anonymous hacker starts to reveal personal messages and secrets of thousands of people. As anger erupts into full-blown violence, the four girls soon find themselves in a fight for their lives against an armed mob. For a movie that has as much going on in it as this movie does, I think that that is the best way to encapsulate what happens. I think that it's a very palatable way to get people to understand what's going on because I think if you were to use the language or the expressions of what's actually going on in here, that would scare people away. Yeah, that said, I think what makes this movie work so well is that it's teen exploitation. It is absolutely teen exploitation. But it's dressed up very beautifully and mm-hmm. very striking. It's the same thing Sam Levinson does with Euphoria. Yes. But people treat it like, oh, it's high art. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's very artistic. But let's be honest about what this is. And then you won't hold it to this ridiculous standards where everyone goes, oh, but actually it isn't that good. Um, I actually yeah. think that it's... A, no, Sam Levinson's not actually that good of a director. Uh, it's the cinematographer and the set dresser who are doing all the work. And it's like, n- shush. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's an exploitation film. Yeah. Like, treat it what it is. Treat it what it is. Like, understand the medium that it's coming from. And Euphoria is the same way. It's all teen exploitation, mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Like, no. that's not a dirty word. And I think that's why people avoid it. Similarly to, like, the elevated horror terminology where, mm-hmm. like, just call it a horror film. Like, it's fine. Yeah. It's it's okay to call it what it is. Um, and this is definitely teen exploitation. And I remember when I first saw the trailer 
it like knocked me on my ass and mm-hmm. I was just because you get bombarded with all of the imagery of just violence and like beauty and glamour and then you're getting hit with all of those trigger warning words where it's like this contains murder and this contains homophobia and this contains gore and it also contains racism and it, it it's just it's just like what it's, like it's the most assaulting powerpoint you've ever seen yeah like that's exactly <laughs> what it is and it's it's an exploitation movie, and it's telling you what it is. So I, I'm always shocked when people are like, I just couldn't get into it. And I'm like, it, it, what did you want from it? It's telling you what it's going to give you in the first 20 seconds, yeah. and that's that's great. This, this movie is very honest about what it is. Very much so. It's just – it's kind of the thing that I argue about Silence of the Lambs all the time, where Silence right. of the Lambs is schlock. It's like chief mondo schlock, mm-hmm. but it's – beautifully and masterfully put together mm-hmm. that people forget how schlocky it is. Mm-hmm. It's like this, where this is so striking and visually interesting and compelling and intense that people go, oh no, this is this is high art. And I'm like, okay, no, it's just really, really good lowbrow art. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Because most highly... of my favorite things are lowbrow. Yeah, it's highly stylized exploitation cinema with a very good budget behind it. I, I mean, that's what it is. Here's the thing, I don't even think the budget's that good. I think it's like six million, seven million, which is good for exploitation films, but it's still a really low budget yes. film. Yeah, very true. Very, so, very true. Like there's that, but I think it's just got really compelling writing. And, and it does. That's what makes people get a little lost. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's kind of go into that. We're gonna start with our main girl. We have Lily. So tell me, I know I know how you feel about Lily, but tell the listeners, how do you feel about Lily? So I feel like this might be a little sacrilegious. Um, I, I love all four of our main girls. I will say many things about them as a collective, probably once we move past Lily specifically. I feel like most people would probably be like, oh, you love Bex, don't you? I'm like, oh, I love Bex. I love Lily the most and I identify the most with Lily, though. Okay, so tell me why you identify so much with Lily. Uh, Lily doesn't fuck around. Mm-hmm. She is so... No nonsense with everyone, but also she is extremely fair and nuanced. Yes, she very much is. And that is a trait that we don't get to see a lot in teenage girl portrayals. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of, like, like, even if you have, like, the stereotypical, like, oh, this is the feminist. Like, if you have your Kat Stratfords from 10 Things I Hate About You, they're an insufferable archetype. Mm -hmm. Lily is so balanced. Yeah, she's so balanced. In a movie where... You have, like, the mayor gets his his nudes leaked of him in women's lingerie and, like, getting fucked by random dudes he met. And all these jocks are like, ew, he was in our locker room with us. That's disgusting. I fucking hate that. Or when the principal, who, oh, I have things to say about the principal. Don't you worry. I know. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I have so many things to say. When the principal's things get leaked and now Lily's parents are being like, oh, he's a pedophile, even though he's not. And she's like but defending him and they're like i will not have you defend a child molester i'm like you all have this immediate reaction mm-hmm. like your gut feeling and instinct and you jump to that and you don't interrogate it at all as mm-hmm. opposed to lily who's actually being intellectual mm-hmm. no nudity is not inherently sexual nudity is reality all of these great things where she has fantastic monologues i think she's an amazing character and odessa young does such a good job disturbing There are boundaries, Lily, between a father and a daughter. You may not believe that, but there are. Absolutely. I I was never comfortable seeing you naked after you were two. Why? You're my daughter. Not a good enough reason. But that's exactly what I mean. I'm your daughter. Why would you be weirded out? 
Lily, that's enough. All I'm trying to say is that nudity isn't inherently sexual. And it's the same thing with these photos. They're not sexual. It's you guys that are making them sexual. Okay, just because a young girl is naked doesn't mean it's sexual or creepy or pervy, and it doesn't make him a child molester. Lily, give me a break. Mom, there's a naked photo of me on the mantelpiece at two years old. Do you think that is child pornography? Lily, I am not going to sit here and listen to you defend a child molester. But that's my point. He's not a child molester. <sighs> he is a victim in this, just like his daughter. I love Lily as a character because Lily is a girl who obviously is kind of breaking a lot of those generational, I don't want to call them curses, but a lot of the generational cycles. She's actually questioning the things that are being presented to her as fact. Mm -hmm. She's not afraid to tell people that are older than her or in positions of power that they're not right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is such a new concept because when we see it previously in works from like the 80s or 90s, the people who are questioning authority in any way, shape, or form are presented as these like, singular, one-minded radicals. Mm -hmm. That's not Lily. Lily and her friends all have these same feelings. A lot of the people in their community have these same feelings. Lily's just the one who isn't afraid to say something, and she's not doing it with, like, a megaphone. It's not becoming this big rallying cry where she has to convince everybody. She treats it just matter-of-fact, like, mm -hmm. no, that's not right, and here's why you're wrong. I mean, this is an enduring, in a very endearing way. She's a bitch. Yeah, but she's right. Correct. She's a correct bitch. <laughs> yeah, because it's one of those things where like, okay, I'm mean. I'm angry. I'm going to tell you things you don't want to hear. And I don't care if you aren't get mad about it. Like mm -hmm. that that's her whole like modus operandi. Um, thinking about this in context of like Pretty Smart and how we talked about how our main character in that film did things out of spite. Mm -hmm. Like, that was what she was rebelling against because it's like, oh, I saw that and I don't like that, which means I'm going to do the polar opposite. That's not happening here. As far as I can tell, Lily and her friends are not, like, the most popular girls. They're not, like, cheerleaders, but they're not losers either. Mm -hmm. Like, they're perfectly comfortable in their, their specific social status in mm -hmm. their high school. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, very interesting because you also don't have that. It's not explored very much, but you don't have that specific thing exist as much in films right and the thing too is it's not like they're average girls like the girl next door they're just average like that's not who they are either no they party yeah they're they party. hot messes mm -hmm. love they're, them they, they they're girls that party they have boyfriends they have their own little social circle mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of the girls that we see in knives and skin which makes sense because this is a movie coming out around the same time uh -huh. where we're starting to explore the idea of like what is an average teenager yeah and it's it's an entirely new world because it's not just the blank shell of somebody like a Molly Ringwald character. Mm -hmm. And it's also not like an undateable loser. And they're also not like a very popular girl. Like they just are who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's a really powerful thing to explore. Exactly. Um, looking at this group of four characters is that outside of Lily, I don't think that there we get as much like who is this person? I think we see more so how they deal with scenarios, which is very telling of who someone is and how mm -hmm. they react to it. Um, but we have Sarah, M, and Bex, who are the other three friends in this foursome. Mm -hmm. And Bex gets a bit more screen time because she, she is the trans character. Mm -hmm. And that is a major element of this thing, as well as just Sam Levinson's work. He seems mm -hmm. very passionate about discovering, uh, about exploring trans stories. Mm -hmm. 
But while I've seen people criticize this movie for the characters not being fleshed out enough, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's fair because all of these characters are shaped and molded by each other. They are extensions of each Mm -hmm. other. And this is kind of what I feel like people pretend something like the craft is. I would agree with that. I really would. And because you're right, like, we don't see a lot of who Sarah and M are in particular, but we see them in some pretty severe conflict. And also they go through one of the hardest moments of, you know, trauma in this entire movie. The reason that we are given so much time with Bex is because this ultimately is a movie about the way people react when their secrets are let out. Mm-hmm. And oh, Bex... the assassination of their character, as it yes, were. Yes, exactly. And Bex is the only person in this world that we meet who their quote-unquote secret or their big, like, oh my goodness, is on Front Street mm-hmm. because she's trans and she can't hide that. Yeah. Uh, so so that's why she gets so much more attention. Yeah. Um, 2019, the year after this came out, was when I first started to self-publish writings about film. Yes, you did. And this was the first film I covered specifically because of that element, which was like, everyone's secrets get leaked. Now, our main four girls, like their emails, their texts, those are not leaked for them. Mm -hmm. But people around them have their stuff leaked and therefore their secrets get out. Mm -hmm. But everyone reacts in this really horrific way to everyone finding out about all of their, all the shit that they talk, all of the porn they look at, all of these things. But obviously... Bex's big secret is that she is the dirty little secret. Yes. Her secret is that she is someone else's secret. Mm-hmm. And that brought up a, an interesting discussion that we were having is because before all of the leaks happen, we see the girls just kind of enjoying their lives. We do know right off the bat that Lily has a boyfriend. It's Bill Skarsgård, a.k.a. Pennywise. Oh, in the new he is hits. a bastard in oh, this. Oh, my God. He's such a piece of shit in this movie. And he's doing such a great job. But, ooh, they want to... <laughs> Just, I just want to shake him. God, he's so good at being awful. Yeah. And because he's got just those eyes that can like look into your soul, uh-huh. it's like extra threatening. Mm-hmm. But we know that she, while is dating this guy, is texting somebody that she is referring to as daddy, daddy mm-hmm. heart eye emoji. Mm-hmm. And she's sending him lewd photos. Um, that is That is just her thing. That's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Cool. No judgment. That's what's going on there. And then we know that Bex is talking to a guy named Diamond, who's kind of like a more popular guy in school. He's, he's an a, athlete. He's a football player. He's a, He is described as dumb as shit, I think. <laughs> yeah. But he seems to be genuinely into her. Mm-hmm. So we see them at this party before the, the leaks really explode. Because I mm-hmm. think at this point, the mayor has been outed as somebody who cross-dresses. Yes. Right, um, right as the party is happening, that leaks. And yes. then they're looking at his stuff at the party. Yes. So, yeah, the mayor is cross-dressing and, uh, you know, getting it up the butt. And the thing is, like, the thing I love about this is that that is not the issue for, like, the main girls. Like, it's mm-hmm. obviously an issue for a lot of the members of the community. It's definitely an issue for the homophobic he, jocks. He ran on family values. Yes, but he was a family value Republican, and a lot of people are like, you're a hypocrite. You can fuck yourself. He, he was very anti-queer. Yes. During his platform. Yes. And that's what our main foursome are mad about. Mm-hmm. They're so, mad about the hypocrisy, not the actual action of like cross-dressing and, and sleeping with men. Like they don't care about that. It's Nuanced, baby. Yeah. It's the hypocrisy of it. And I also love that Bex has the moment where she's like, yeah, no, people who look like me kill themselves every single day and that guy wouldn't cry for me. So why would I cry for him? Because he does, he does Bud Dwyer himself um, during a conference for those mm-hmm. that don't know what that means. 
Google it. Don't watch the video. Just look at the Wikipedia. But it's a politician taking their own life live on air during a press conference. Um, so he does that. Hey, man, nice shot. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Um, <laughs> there's a song about it. Um, so, like, that happens. But while they're at this party, though, Bex is also noticing that, like, Diamond is checking her out. and I fucking, as it were. Yes. And M is like, well, let's give him something to look at. So then, you know, they're all being cute and sexy. And then later on... You know, Lily goes off with her boyfriend and they do some sexy stuff, but she does it in the window, which is in view of who we learn is daddy, which is Joel McHale, who is uh, like a dad in the neighborhood who's she used to babysit his kids. Yeah. So like, so that's interesting. Many things are happening Mm -hmm. during all of this. This is like a five minute piece, mind you. Honestly, this whole setup of this entire scene is done in three panels that are like fading in and out of each other. And it's... First of all, it's very Sam Levinson, but it's very also much like, so. it's one of these um, scenes that exist in this movie, similarly to the um, like the baseball set, the baseball bat scene, or the home invasion scene, where it's like, hey, here is my here's my flex as a director, you know? Yeah, these are all the inspirations that I have because Sam Levinson, I'm, sh- I'm showcasing right now what I can do. Yeah, because Sam Levinson clearly comes from a very similar school of filmmaking as somebody like quentin tarantino Mm -hmm. but i would say push even further like there's a lot of like giallo elements of Mm -hmm. this but there's a lot of noir elements but then it's mostly exploitation cinema Mm -hmm. and a lot of grindhouse cinema like that's where he's taking it from but then he's giving it that like new millennium like high gloss Mm -hmm. look to everything which then turns into it being an auteur look of sam levinson like that looks like a sam levinson that looks like euphoria correct that's what's happening here so at this party Bex hooks up with Diamond. He's mm-hmm. way into it. Mm-hmm. He's 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 he loves her tiny titties. All of that's great. And then he comes and you see this look on his face where like oops, shame. It just washes over him and he's like, "Yeah, you can't tell anyone about this. Um I'll see you in bio." And it's heartbreaking and I this happens cuz here's the thing. I actually rewatched this movie twice for this episode, once by yeah. myself, mm-hmm. once with BJ. Because for I love this movie, and I was I definitely wanted to just digest it twice, because why the fuck not? It's worth mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. I asked BJ, hey, have you ever been that? Have you ever been that, like, shame fuck where, mm-hmm. like, the cum has drained from someone, and they've come back down to earth, and they're not all horny and hot anymore, and then they have immense regrets? Yes, I have. Same. Unfortunately. Yeah. And I think that that portrayal is something that we definitely don't see a lot in film even though we totally know that's a fucking thing but we for any know kind that of that's a stuff. thing and, and it's not even i don't even think that it's necessarily like queer stuff either like obviously when you had that experience my assumption is that you've had it because of like the the awakening of i just had sex with a trans woman um yeah yeah some people were much more okay with that than others you're right. Yeah. And then <laughs> so, I... <laughs> some of them were like, I'm a big fan of this, but also I have a reputation. Right. And some people were like, I have gross feelings that I'm never going to work through and only I'm going to text you at 1 a.m. for the next several years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mine comes from the fact that I'm a fat person. There are mm-hmm. a lot of people that are very, very into fat women, but because society is the way that it is, they don't want to I- accept or acknowledge the fact that they are interested in fat people. So they have sex and they love it and they think it's great. And then when they're done, it's like, what have I done? I had sex with a fat person. And the thing is, like, people think that we don't know that that's what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. we know. 
people joke about it a lot in terms of like masturbation. Like you see memes all the time where it's like, you ever get on like page 50 of Pornhub and then you come and then you can't believe what you've just done and you need to go shower for mm-hmm. your shame. But they don't ever acknowledge the fact that people do that with people. Mm-hmm. And I think movies especially, they portray sex in a way where either like it's amazing and it's hot or like it's amazing and it's filled with love or it's a complete disaster and a joke or it's traumatic and it was assault. Mm -hmm. They don't ever play with the gray area of like, you were super into this, but then a lot of your own mental baggage that came with it happened afterward. Because like what happened between Bex and Diamond is not assault. Like it's purely consensual. He just isn't ready to unpack what that means for him yet. And he's afraid of what other people are gonna think of him because the other important thing and I, I don't like that this is a distinction that has to be made, but it absolutely does. There is a huge difference in the eyes of a lot of heterosexual cis men between fucking a trans woman in the ass mm-hmm. and sucking her dick. Mm-hmm. There are There is a huge distinction there. And it's made in this movie. If you suck her dick. It's intimate. You, bo- you, you bottomed for you, one thing. Yes. Yes. And like that is a very important thing. And like obviously when we're speaking about this, We're speaking about it in, like, huge generalities. Like, that is not necessarily what any of this means. Oh, that's what all these jockey guys are thinking. But that's what all these jockey guys are thinking. This is the perspective we're working from. Because you see this thing where Johnny, who is our main douchebag jock, who... We're going to talk about him as we just get through the series of events that happen Mm -hmm, in this film. mm Because I think we're going to talk about events more than we're going to talk about characters. Agreed. He's fine with making jokes or or commenting on things with Bex. Like, they hang out at the same party. He's not violent. He's whatever. He's going to be like, hey, Bex, you look good today. Just kind of as like a like a, a rib, I guess. Right. As like a joke in front of his buddies. And then her response is, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Which, good retort. Love it. Mm-hmm. But as soon as this is something else, oh, no, if someone likes you. Oh, no, someone had sex with you. Oh, no, somebody that I'm friends with had sex with you. You have entered into my territory. You right. have infiltrated through someone, like through a proxy of someone else. You have come into my shirtless, slam high killers, jock jam session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where it becomes too far for That's him. where it's violent. Yes. And that is something that I think really plays into that mindset so many people talk about of like, I don't care that you're gay, just don't hit on me. Like mm-hmm. that is the that is the extension of of that toxic mentality that we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. He's totally fine with Bex. Like, meh, whatever, he'll make fun of her. They they don't hang out or anything, but like yeah. he's not like beating her up in the school. Yeah, he's not seeking her out to like, torment I'm her. I'm not gonna hate crime the shit out of you at school. Yeah, like none of that happens. But when he finds out that Diamond is with her. Then it becomes it's one, it's also her fault in his mind. Like mm-hmm. immediately it's it's her fault. Never once does he interrogate, like, hey, maybe my friend just really genuinely likes this girl. Instead, it's like, I can't believe that Diamond sucked Bex's dick. Uh-huh. And the other thing, too, that is fucking wild, they never misgender her. No. <laughs> they talk so much horrible shit about her, but they don't misgender her, which I feel like was an intentional choice. Absolutely. It's just pleasant. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like further proof that you can hate somebody and still not misgender them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when that happens, like you know immediately, like that is like we know where this is going for Bex. Mm-hmm. Like it's going the same place that every single news report goes when somebody tries to use like a trans panic defense. Yep. That train stops at one station and it's the end of the line. 
Yes, yes. Or in this case, it is the end of a rope. And it mm. is rough pumpkins. Yeah. Uh, because we, you know immediately. Like, before shit even really hits the fan, you're like, we know where this is going. Mm-hmm. And, and it's rough. Um, oh, yeah. Um, as, as, as things ramp up into our very purge-like healthscape that exists in this, which I remember some three years ago, people saying like, oh, this is unrealistic. Like the purge wouldn't actually happen. Assassination Nation wouldn't actually happen. And I'm like, there was a man on you. <laughs> at the Capitol dressed like a shaman. Do you right. really think a man wearing a mask like this and just like full decked out like military gear? Is that really that preposterous? Yeah. Is it though? And that's why I think this movie hits a lot harder in 2022 than it did in what, 2019, 2018? Yeah. Uh, because we were still kind of operating under the idea that like, this is a joke and like, you can't take these people seriously. It was only year two of Trump's presidency. Right. Things well, hadn't gotten as bad yet. Well, now we're out of that. And now we have like proud boys who wear Hawaiian shirts and tactical gear. Mm-hmm. And we have... QAnon people doing whatever it is they do. We have Kyle Rittenhouse doing whatever it is that he does. All of it's racism. All of it's awful. Um, So it's become this world where we are now seeing like, no, this is very fucking possible. This Mm -hmm. is very much within the realm of possibility. And it's really kind of obnoxious that a lot of people who saw this movie in 2018 were like, yeah, no, this could happen. And everyone laughed it off. Yeah. And now look where we are. Yeah. So things become targeted. Most of the town is going for Lily because this guy named Marty ends up lying or at least fudging the truth and says, oh, Lily's responsible for all of the leaks of everyone's information. So most people are targeting her. Johnny and the Slam High Killer Jocks are targeting Bex. Yeah. And this gets into a gray area with this film that I really... I, I, I want to put in two different camps. So they end up getting guns and swords and just opening fire and killing all these guys who think like, I'm going to take these bitches out and then just get lit the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like they've played too much Call of Duty and they think they're going to be a hero and it doesn't work out well for any of them. Mm-hmm. So Bex has a gun at Johnny's head and he's begging for her to not kill him. And Bex has already proven in the movie with a nail gun in a pool that she'll kill someone if she has to. Mm-hmm. Like this movie is about survival. Everything about this movie is survival mm-hmm. because you are just dealing with the circumstances that were presented to you. Well, it's also important to note when they went after Bex, they came after her with rope and a light, a light pole yes. and a truck. Yes. And they were trying to make it Diamond's responsibility to do this. And he was like, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Because she didn't do anything wrong and he bails on his boys. And that is a very important thing because, like, he did the right thing. Mm-hmm. And yet they were still going to kill her. Yeah. So the 
two camps I want to sort of set this scenario into is that Bex does not kill him. And that's saying that, like, she'll kill someone for survival. She will not kill someone for revenge. And that's reasonable. I can accept that. It's not what I want. But, like, that's fine. That's who this character is. That's her choice. That's okay. What I want is I want revenge. I want him to suffer. I want him to feel pain. He deserves it for what he was trying to do. And that's my feelings. And I'm not going to say, oh, that situation's bad because it's what I want and it's not what I got. But I also don't think that we're at a place where you can show trans women murdering people like that and it's okay. We have we have not been far enough removed from decades of horror movies showing trans or implied trans characters murdering people as the villain that we're okay with it being considered a heroic action. Yeah, we are seeing this action in in twofold. I think that it's representative of showing that like Bex is better than them because she did not resort to violence, which mm-hmm. enforces this kind of like model minority stereotype. That's my big yes. issue. And the thing is, I understand why it's there and like I think that there is a read to be made that like this is empowering because she is able to say no, she is able to be the bigger person. Mm-hmm. But you're absolutely right. It is kind of ridiculous that trans rage and trans vengeance has yet to be shown on screen yet because, unfortunately, we do live in a society where trans people are demonized simply for existing. So Mm -hmm. the last thing that we need is to have a trans person, even though it would have been justified. Like, if she would have killed him, no one would have said boo about it. They would Mm -hmm. have been like, yeah, that's he deserved that. Mm -hmm. But it would have been weaponized immediately. The day that we're recording this, like, Texas is is passing their, their awful, awful legislation that is harming trans kids. Florida is passing their don't say gay laws. Mm-hmm. It's a really bleak time to be a queer or trans person. And it's, it, it's atrocious, but this is exactly why. We cannot have Bex kill him because if so, then it just proves all of these assholes correct. Yes, but... Here's something that I sort of want to unpack with you that we have not talked about and something I didn't really think about with myself until I rewatched it the first time, the one where you weren't there. Mm -hmm. So we talked about earlier in the episode how I would put this on at the bar and it would be too emotionally intense for some people and I would just sit there and go like, come on, it's not that bad. This movie's fun because it is is a satire. It's a dark comedy. Mm -hmm. But... Something that I didn't really um, recognize until this most recent watch is that I don't see this movie as as horrifying as most people do. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to how things are with Texas right now or with Florida. I the the week before we're recording this, I kind of stepped off Twitter because I was just like, I need a break from this. Um, it was mostly Texas Chainsaw related because I was just sick of all of the everyone who had to have an opinion on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back because that's the best place to get news on stuff like Texas or Florida or, God forbid, the things happening in Ukraine right now. Yeah. So I, here I am. I'm back on Twitter. But I saw so many people who were either messaging me or just posting about how they can't believe that this is happening. Like, oh, this thing in Texas, I just, I can't believe it. I can. Mm -hmm. 
I'm sorry that this is new to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, some some people in the, in our current day and age didn't come out as trans when being trans was still considered a mental illness because it was until I believe 2013, mm-hmm. and it shows. This is this is not my first rodeo. I've seen this happen so many times, mm-hmm. like time and time and time again, and I'm very numb to it. Mm-hmm. And that kind of applies to how this movie works, where I watch this movie and it's very intense. Um, this movie is basically a rape revenge film without the rape. Mm-hmm. It's in some ways more violating because it's about everyone in the world knowing about it, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like a select small number of people who knew what happened to you. Now it's like all of your intimate everything is out there and everyone thinks you're a whore, even though you're not. Mm-hmm. And Court of public opinion, you are. Mm-hmm. This movie is so much more intense than it ever felt like to me. Because this movie just feels, in my in my soul, this movie feels like my reality. Yeah. Like, in this movie, I'm not Bex. Even though everyone in this movie knows Bex is trans. She likely transitioned and people have just know that that's a thing like when i transitioned in my small town everyone went hey dead name went to harmony what the fuck and i became infamous very quickly but i am not bex i am lily and the way that i'm being treated the most harshly and the most violently and the most aggressively is i'm just having to kind of get through my day while everyone else is now getting doses of what i've already been through Mm-hmm. And that's hard for them, and they don't know how to handle it. And I am just sort of sitting here going, yeah, mm-hmm. this this is the world. I'm sorry it sucks. Yes, and this may be a tangent, but I think there is something very important that needs to be distincted as to why the LGBTQIA plus community in its marginalized status does differ from the rest of the marginalized identities. So I was assigned female at birth. I identify as a female. I have lived my entire life as a woman. I have been marginalized with misogyny since birth. My marginalization of being a queer person is relatively new. That's something that I learned about as a teenager. My marginalized status as somebody who is partnered with a trans person is even newer than that. So my secondhand transphobia, that is something that I have had to learn recently. And there is a reason why When somebody says some whack shit to you in public or looks at you funny or makes a snide comment that I'm the one who has the more volatile reaction because this is still new to me and I'm the one who's going to blow up at it. You're desensitized to it at this point. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't even kind of process with you anymore Mm -hmm. because if you paid attention to every person who made a comment and every person who said something to you, you lose your fucking mind. Like, just straight up, you would not be able to be a functioning member of society. Mm -hmm. Like, there is a level of mental safety that you've had to do by, like, blocking that shit out as much as possible. And what's happening is, especially right now, because of the pandemic, when a lot of people had nothing but time but to sit and think and really interrogate who they are as people, mm-hmm. we had an explosion of people who figured out, and also, you know, the TikTok algorithm tells you who you are. Mm-hmm. We had an explosion of people who realized for the first time and were validated for the first time 
that they were not cisgender, that they're not straight, that they're not neurotypical. Like these are all big things that happened in kind of an explosive wave, but because it's a pandemic, they've also not been outside. They've not been dealing with how the real world treats people. Mm-hmm. You're able to curate thanks to algorithms, thanks to blocking tools, curate a, a, a bubble where you are affirmed, where you are safe. And sure, every once in a while, things might sneak into your neighborhood and, and give you a little bit of the business, but this is the first time that a lot of people are realizing, wait, holy shit, the world really does want me dead. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why somebody like Lily really resonates with you because there's that scene where Lily gets kicked out of her house after the leaks reveal that she's been sexting this dad. Mm-hmm. And there are guys slow rolling her in their car and she's just trying to walk. She's mm-hmm. just trying to do something. And they're recording her on their phones and they're calling her names and they're chasing her down and being awful. And like, I have witnessed you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so like a, a like an alien concept for some people who've never had to experience it. And that's what makes being part of the LGBTQIA plus community different is that a lot of us get to that place in our lives. Like we join the community at various ages mm-hmm. and we all have varying degrees of lived experience with this. We don't have like the tools from birth to learn how to handle this shit. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that means somebody like you who's in their early thirties may have more experience in this realm than somebody who's in their forties mm-hmm. because they just, they, they don't have the years behind them. And it, that's why I think this movie is so interesting, though, too, because the leaks affect everybody from children who are seen on their their dad's phone mm-hmm. to like full, full grown ass adults. Mm-hmm. And they're all met with that same level of vitriol and violence because at this point, like age doesn't matter. Experience doesn't matter. Everyone is put on this equal playing field of like everyone is awful and we Mm -hmm. need to take it down definitely and speaking from like my own sort of bubble on this i guess is that comparing this to like euphoria is so interesting to me because euphoria is so much about internal struggles it's everyone dealing with their own personal demons and drama and maybe like an like uh, within your own small social circle the drama that exists there this is so much more of a larger threat. This is this is external conflict. This is yeah. this isn't just trying to like comfortably deal with whatever drama is going on at school. This is survival. This is mm-hmm. the 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 threat of I might not live through the night. And I love that cuz that has always spoke to me more because yeah, I don't want to have this like weird welcome to womanhood kind of approach cuz that's not at all it's it, what I'm getting at. But trans misogyny in particular is such an unfortunate intersection of the trans umbrella, which is like, hey, we're now in a microcosm of a microcosm of a microcosm Mm -hmm. with trans misogyny. But like, yeah, I've had people stalk me. I've had people follow me home. I've had people threaten violence with me. I've had all of these things happen. And there is almost this weird comfort to seeing everyone be put on the same playing field Mm -hmm. like in in this pure chaotic way that like i don't approve of because it's just like some 4chan twitter troll because like the spoiler at the end is that the the guy who leaks it was as aerostratus yeah he's just lily's brother Mm -hmm. 
and he did it for the lulls. Mm-hmm. And I I don't want to say I'm the same as a Twitter troll because I'm absolutely fucking not. But there is this thing where I'm like, I want people to watch this movie and have this sort of feeling of like, oh, fuck. Is this what it's like for someone like like me? Is this what it's mm-hmm. like for someone like me all the time? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. L- l- less so since I've come to California, more so when I was in Cleveland. But yes. And I think something that's always really interesting to me is you mentioned this like, you know, quote unquote, welcome to womanhood thing. And I've mentioned this on TikTok before. But whenever people say that to trans women, it's almost exclusively in relation to the way that the world treats women. Mm -hmm. And it's also so annoying because one, like in a weird way, you're sort of defining that womanhood is being sexually harassed or treated poorly by the rest of the world and like that is the barometer of what womanhood is hey you gave up your male privilege uh this is what you get for it sorry right and that is such an insulting way for anybody to define womanhood but the other thing that you're bringing up is like you know this is something that you experience every day is like the the assumptions that are made about your character because of like small pieces of information that you are given. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is such a universal truth that's being presented here, not necessarily just to the women or, obviously, to Bex as a trans person, but it's also to the men, too. And I know you wanted to talk about your boy. Oh, my God. Harmony loves Coleman Domingo more than any actor on the planet, um, Um, in case you didn't know that. I think Coleman Domingo is maybe the most talented actor working today. I... Love him the way that James Gunn likes Michael Rooker, in mm-hmm. which if I made movies, I would put this man in everything because he plays wildly different characters and he's really fucking talented. And he also has like a cute husband and seems like a lovely man. Big fan of that. I have been preaching the good gospel of how talented Coleman Domingo is for so long <laughs> when people were making fun of me like eight years ago going, ew, why do you watch Fear the Walking Dead? And I go, okay, it's a garbage show. I know, but there's this guy <laughs> and he's really talented and he's really talented in this movie. Um, this movie has an hour and 50 minutes. It does not feel and like it. And it is a brisk hour and 50 minutes. Like it cruises because it is so fast paced and no wasted scenes. Even like the scenes where it's just girls hanging out and it's just character development for them. Like that's not wasted. That's important. Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie could be maybe like 10, 15 minutes longer because I want to know. I want to see Bill Skarsgård. Where, where's he at the end of this movie? Mm-hmm. I want to know where the principal, Coleman Domingo, is at the end of this movie. What happened to him? I mm-hmm. assume he fled town mm-hmm. after people smashed his windows in. But he is being absolutely destroyed because mm-hmm. his information is leaked and among amongst the everything is like okay cool he looks at like teenage porn which usually means it's like 24 year olds and some of the students are reading that as weird because he's a teacher mm-hmm. that's not fair because we see a fantastic scene between him and lily where she has a wonderful monologue and it's all about sex mm-hmm. and he's being a good teacher and it's not sexual at all he has no interest in fucking his students mm-hmm. so we dig deeper than that. Oh, he took some do- pictures of his kids. Just like, oh, they're in the tub. Whatever. He's a dad. He's a proud dad. He's like, look at my cute kid. And people are like, that's so inappropriate. She's like six years old. That's child pornography. But it's not sexual. Mm-hmm. It's just his kid. 
It's just nudity. Like, nudity is not inherently sexual. And they drive that point home throughout the whole movie. Yeah, that point is made multiple times throughout the movie that nudity is not inherently sexual. It's only sexual if you make it that way. Uh-huh. And what ends up happening is because there are images of his child that are nude young when they are clearly just like, look at my baby photos. Mm-hmm spliced with the fact that they know he watches porn that's labeled as like teen or barely legal or whatever mm-hmm. everyone then jo- like takes a flying leap of assumptions and then is like oh he's a child molester uh-huh. he's not like he's absolutely not but you have these teeny tiny bits of information and you put them together and make the connection that doesn't exist like the only way that i can describe it in all honesty is it reminds me so much of the same mentality that gets used on twitter that I think in meme world, we've started calling the that's a brand new sentence, which is like, you said you like pancakes. That means you hate waffles. No, that's a new sentence. What are you talking about? And that's what's going on here is it's like, you have a history of watching barely legal porn and you have a naked baby on your phone. That means you clearly get off to naked babies. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that is not at all what any of that means. These are two, these are two different sentences. Where did you get that? All you're looking at is the nudity. But this isn't about that. This isn't about the sex or the porn or even being naked. This is about everything that goes into it. The pressure, the endless mindfuck, the 10,000 naked selfies you took before this one, trying to get it just right. Trying to make sure the light hides your left nipple because it's slightly inverted or it's smaller or maybe your labia is too big but if you pull your pelvic bone up and bend to the left slightly in a low light setting then you'll be beautiful hashtag flawless body confident but it's all one big lie you can never be because nobody's flawless and all it takes is one fucking asshole to remind you of that one guy to say lol or she's nasty and you're right back at square one so okay maybe it is explicit or extreme but it sure as hell looks like life to me but let's let's flip the other side of that coin to joel McHale or mm-hmm. daddy mm-hmm. so joel McHale is just, just like a 40 year old man who um, likes an 18-year-old girl. Nothing inherently illegal about that. He maybe likes the DDLG or the daddy-dom-little-girl dynamic. Mm-hmm. Nothing inherently wrong with that. As long as you interrogate why it is you're into that, obviously. Correct. Yes. However, he developed attraction to Lily while she was babysitting his kid. Mm-hmm. And she, odds are she was not 18 yet. Mm-hmm. He also is married and has a child, mm-hmm. and then orchestrates an entire thing mm-hmm. with the entire town of, like, crazed lunatics to chase her into his house so that he can, while she is still covered in blood, take her up to his daughter's room after his wife takes the kid and leaves, and he wants to fuck her while she's still covered in blood. Yeah, the character that Joel McHale is playing in this movie clearly has some serious issues that he needs to work out. Uh Uh-huh. Desperately needs therapy. Like this, y'all, men will really get an armed militia before they will go to therapy. (laughs) Like, holy shit. (laughs) Like, there's almost this beautiful 
Edgar Wright callback to this film where after it's leaked that she has been sending nudes to Joel McHale's character across the street, um, everyone is, says all these terrible things about her. And she's having like this heart to heart moment with Bex under like the covers in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he was really nice to me. He wasn't like some dumb 16 year old boy. And he listened to what I had to say. Mm-hmm. And he said cool stuff and was kind. And when he touched my leg one time, I melted. Mm-hmm. And in this like callback of like, sometimes things are sexual. Sometimes things aren't sexual. And that gets into this, this fantastic painting of like what consent is where right. he's trying to have sex with her and he's touching her thighs now. And she's, never had sex with him and this is the closest they've ever gotten and she's saying yeah i don't i don't want to do this and then he's like i'm gonna kill you if you don't because i've lost everything and it, it couldn't have been nothing i have to get this out of it otherwise what's the point right and like that is so horrifying but that conversation i think is so important as part of this movie because obviously if she was babysitting his kids when this started there is sort of this like what, well, was he grooming her? Like, that is a very real question to mm-hmm. to ask. Yeah. More than likely, yes. But then when you hear her side of it and she's talking about it, she's like, no, I really did like this. And I know that he's married. I know these things are wrong. But he listens to me. And, like, a bunch of people at school don't. And there's this very weird window of time, especially, I think, for women. Because we have all heard the expression, like, women mature faster than boys. Like, I I know. I've heard it. Are you mature for your age? Are you mature or for your did age? did you just watch VH1's I Love the 70s and can talk about Leif Garrett? <laughs> that might be a little close to home for me. <laughs> but also, like, similarly to, like, the, oh, you're, you're such an old soul. Like, all of these things are very real. Uh-huh. And as somebody who has a body that did mature faster than everyone else in my grade, uh-huh. one of the things that was so annoying to me is that people my age, like, could not handle it. Mm -hmm. Like, boys could not handle that I had huge boobs. Like, they all turned into, like, hormonal, whistling wolf, giant eyeball, the mask cartoon characters Mm -hmm. all the time. And it was so awful and terrible, which did mean that I ended up seeking out a lot of company of people that were older than me. Not necessarily because that's what I wanted or because I was interested, because obviously y'all know I am very gay, but it just felt nice for somebody to tell me that, like, I was smart or -hmm. to tell me that I was interesting or to talk to me about literally anything other than, like, you're so hot. Oh, my God, your tits are so huge. Mm -hmm. Because that is a thing that you kind of mature out of for the most part. There are some people who, as we said, and never been kissed, will always be rattling cages. Mm Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, yeah, a lot of older people know – they may be thinking those things that the teen boys are saying, but they're smart enough to know not to say it out loud. Yeah, they have tact and they're not as hormonal, I guess. Or they're sneakier if you want to be cynical. And that's the thing. like, Or they're sneakier. And like, <laughs> yeah. that's that's also the very important thing to, to keep in mind here. Yeah. And we never talk about that, that moment in time where you're 17 or 18 years old – And you are starting to feel a bit more, like, womanly. And you do want to be taken seriously. And you do want somebody to make you feel good that isn't an idiot. Like, that Mm -hmm. isn't, like, a a dumb 15-year-old boy who's like, let's jump off the roof of my mom's house. Like, you don't want that at a certain point. And unfortunately, a lot of times, because we do put so much pressure 
on women to to see themselves as like your value is in your desirability to men rather than all of us being like I'm just going to be single for a while and wait for people to get their shit together it turns into well I need something I need someone I need that validation where can I get it where it also feels good oh I know someone that's older than me mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do and it's only like years and years later that a lot of us realize like what the hell happened because we're also still Children, like we are young and we don't sometimes know fully what's going on. Like I was a 14 year old with a with a 20 year old boyfriend. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like that's at the time I was like, well, yeah, I just can't deal with like other freshmen. Like they're all really annoying. He's a freshman in college. Like what is a freshman in college doing with a freshman in high school? Like what Mm -hmm. the shit? And so many people normalized it because of what I looked like and because I was, quote unquote, an old soul. And Mm -hmm. like that is bananas to me (laughs) yeah here's here's the thing is this is a lot more common obviously with teen girls but i had all of this too as a boy yeah yeah you did um when i was 16 i kind of had i i i I met a girl on quizilla of all things which i didn't even know you could do that uh, you can message people on Quizella. We liked the same bands, though she was a little bit more like, what do you mean? Philip Anselmo's a genius from Pantera. And I'm like, he's, I think, a Nazi. Mm-hmm. So, mm. but she was 33. I was 16. Her husband was in jail. She lived on the far side of Pennsylvania and drove like six hours to come rendezvous with me at a Motel 6 off the highway. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, oh, wow, someone who's older than me is way into me. That's awesome. Because Mm -hmm. all the girls that I went to school with weren't interested in me. And then, like, we're in the hotel room and I'm like, I don't think I'm kosher with this. Like, this, I I think I'm having regrets. I don't know if I'm ready to lose my virginity. And she's like, well, I drove this whole way and you need to make it worth my while. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, what's the point? Mm -hmm. Like a Mr. Joel McHale's character. And also, as an aside, I love how often Joel McHale gets cast as creepy douchebags because mm-hmm. he's really funny and it's a good juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Like, that's good meta casting. Like, when Bo Burnham pops up in things like Promising Young Woman, it's like, oh, no, please don't be a monster. Mm-hmm. But after that happened, I was destroyed. Yeah. And I tried to tell friends about it and they were just like, oh, my God, she was older than you. Like, she was in her 30s. Did she have big boobs? You're my hero. And I'm like, I'm trying to communicate that this isn't a good thing, but you're hearing what you want to hear. And I didn't have sex for like the next five or six years because I just went unchecked. Mm -hmm. So then I like hopped online and started talking to like older men as a 17 year old. And there was a dude who lived in Florida who was very nice to me. Um. Like I, there, there were there were some guys who were out in my school, like three dudes who were like, "Oh, well, why don't you come suck my dick?" And it's like, okay, that's not very interesting. But then there's this guy who's like, "I will, I'll, you know, if you were to, if I were to see you in person, I'd take care of you, you know, mm-hmm. I'll do this thing, I'll show you how stuff works." And I'm like, "This all seems like good entry level stuff." Mm-hmm. And then we were going to Florida for uh for marching band for spring break to march at Disney, and he's like, "I live in Florida. I'll come meet you." And I'm like, "This is too real. We are blocking and deleting Deviant Art now." <laughs> yeah. But there was a lot of circumstances like that. I I had a similar one also after I came out as trans with an older trans woman from Canada mm-hmm. who was like, 
I was 19. She was like 45, mm-hmm. which like, that's not illegal. It's just, it's an age group. And I had some stuff that was not properly worked through. So that's just whatever. But there's this aspect that feels good. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously they have like salacious self-interest in this, mm-hmm. but there's this thing of like, oh no, you're not just saying like, come over to my house and suck my dick. You're not just like saying like, oh yeah, you have to pay for the movie. You have to this, like other girls in my grade where I'm being put in this like male position. It's like, oh no, I'll, I'll show you how this works. I'll listen to you. I'll talk to you about things that interest both of us. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. Mm-hmm. And then things get real and it doesn't feel good anymore. Mm-hmm. And you can't put on the brakes. Yeah. And I think that this movie does a really good job at exploring that complication because like Lily knows that her relationship with Joel McHale's character is not a good one. No, she like, she, she fully has this, knows. she has this moral quandary of just like, I, I'm not a bad person. It just, he made me feel special. Right. And it, like, especially when you see him compared to like Bill Skarsgård's character in this, who is her current boyfriend, who he's like the first guy she's ever been with who called her beautiful and said she was special and that he loved her. And there's a lot of, a lot of weight put on those firsts. The first time someone makes you Mm -hmm. feel special, but then you eventually pull a 180 and he becomes a bastard. And he becomes the first person that I think she says that she ever wanted to hurt. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we acknowledge and kind of affirm and validate these emotions because I mean, I I'm, I know I've said this to you a million times, but I'll say it on air just so that it's on record. Like, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm so sorry that you were what we can recognize now as adults. You were groomed and taken advantage of by an older woman. Like, that is the reality of that situation. But at the same time, that does not negate the fact that at the time, there was an appeal to that for you. There was something about that that felt good. Similarly to how when I was 14, there was something about having like a 20-year-old boyfriend that made me feel good and made me feel special. And it's only in hindsight that I can look back and recognize like what those feelings were. We talk about like misdirected anger all the time. Mm -hmm. We don't talk a lot about like misdirected affection because a lot of times that's what we're doing. We are having this feeling of affection and it is completely misdirected. Definitely. When you're a teenager and you have no one to talk to, like like in my example where I straight up tried to talk to people and they weren't hearing what I was saying, right. there's a lot of things that can get misdirected. When I came out as trans, I thought I had like severe body dysphoria and like really, really hated my genitals and was like, I have to get bottom surgery. I have to because I just, I can't stand things and I have sex with people and I cry And it's clearly like dysphoria because I don't want to be a boy. I want to just be like, I want to have a vagina and be like a full, perfect, beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. And that was not the case. Mm -hmm. I had sex with a lot of people after I finally turned 21 and started to like do things with others. Um, After like a five year break from even kissing women, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I went down on a lot of women, but that was because I liked feeling useful. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they never did stuff with me because I was just not having it. But I would just be upset. Mid-sex, I would just break down and cry. And the, the, the issue that was never unpacked was, oh, I don't 
hate my body. I hate that I never worked through my coercion. Mm-hmm. And that manifested in a way that was really easy to misread. Mm-hmm. And it was I was misdirecting a lot of self-hate on myself when I didn't hate myself. Mm-hmm. I hated things that people did to me. Mm-hmm. And if that is not the theme of this whole movie. <laughs> right. This entire fucking town wants to kill us. And they may say that it's because they thought I was behind it. Or that I'm a whore. I'm a moral. I'm a homewrecker. I deserve it. I have it coming. Well, guess what? I didn't hack anybody's shit. I didn't do it. And I don't know who did. As for being a whore, a homewrecker, a moral, sure. It doesn't hold a fucking candle to your righteousness. That's the real sickness here. Your righteousness and hypocrisy. It's the simple fact that you can't live by the rules you set, yet you still pretend. This is your world. You built this. If it's too strict, tear it the fuck down. But don't look at me. Don't take your hate out on me. I just got here. And one of the examples that I think we see that most obviously is the situation with Bella Thorne and Maude Apatow. Uh Um, Character names, I kind of don't care that like the weird thing with sam levinson properties is he uses a lot of like pretty well-known performers that are in youth spaces so i just know them by their actor name more mm-hmm. than anything but it's revealed that maude apatow had like taken nude photos of herself and that bella thorne's character had like sent them to everybody mm-hmm. and she has this monologue like before she enacts her revenge which is clocking the shit out of her with a aluminum baseball bat to the head which the the shot where the camera goes upside down and then pulls away and she's on the american flag oh my god it's it's, it's this movie is full of a lot of beautiful shots because it's sam levinson and that's just like his thing he loves stylish like very very lush looking things it's my favorite shot in the whole movie yeah it's incredible um but as she's doing that and she's talking about like she's kind of convincing herself to do what she's going to do um, we then re- get the the pullback that what she's saying is actually uh, her explaining to the cops like why she did what she did. Mm-hmm. She talks about how like when those photos get leaked and they get presented to everybody, she's like, I'm going to spend the rest of my life wondering every time I walk into a room, every time I have a job interview, every time I go on a date, like what do they know about me? What have they seen? And it's like this ultimate act of of violation. And she doesn't she's not angry about like what she did of, of taking the pictures. Like she's not upset with herself. She's upset at the harm that was done to her. Mm -hmm. And that is, I think the important thing here is like so often, especially in this movie, which is about leaking. It's about about being violated. Yes. It's about being violated, but it's in particular about the leaking is that when it comes to things like sexting and I'm going to shout out American hysteria on this one. Um, Go listen to their episode on The American Teenager. They recently just re-released it in preparation for their th- their series on fangirls and, and boy bands. But they have an episode on The American Teenager and they talk about like things with sexting in particular. When sexting first kind of became a thing, parents and even the authorities were giving the same amount of weight to the teenagers who took the photos as teenagers who spread the photos. Mm-hmm. It was it's like such a victim blaming nonsensical look at it of like, 
well, you took the picture, so it's kind of on you. You and photographed child pornography. Exactly. And it's like, you. this is child pornography. You did this to yourself. If I'm not mistaken, I think that's a lot of what took Tumblr down. It is what took was, Tumblr down. It was a bunch down. of teens taking pictures of themselves. Mm-hmm. It's because there was no way for them to really filter and like figure out how old people were. Mm-hmm. So they just shut it all down. Yeah. When, I don't know, maybe if somebody is going to be marking their account as 18 plus, they have to do a driver's license identification. It's really not that hard. They could have prevented this. That's an entirely different discussion for a different day. Yeah. But as we've seen, like, it is given the same amount of weight. So, like, someone like Maude Apatow's character didn't actually do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with her taking intimate photos to share with somebody directly that she is intimate with. Oh, yeah, there's that, nothing wrong there's with that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's wrong things about maybe hitting someone with a bat, even if it is justified. Very true. Like She did something wrong later in yes, response like, to it. Girl, love you. Go to therapy. Um, but in terms of like like the the stuff that Bella Thorne's character did, I think her name's Reagan, like that is wrong. Like that is the wrong thing. That is the person who should be punished. But in that situation, She's not. Like, until Maude does something by, like, hitting her in the head with the baseball bat, she's not in trouble. Like, she's mm-hmm. not the one who is going to have to spend the rest of her life wondering if everyone at a job interview knows that she leaked nudes. Like, that's not a thing she's going to ever have to worry about, mm-hmm. whereas Maude will. And I think that that is a very important, like, distinction that is being made in this movie is that a lot of times when it comes to things like interpersonal intimate violence like this, like intimate violation like this, so frequently the person that is in the wrong and has done the wrong thing is not the person targeted with vengeance. Mm-hmm. Lily was sending nudes to a married man. Sure. Is it unethical and like not something that she should be super thrilled about? Of course. Why is there an angry mob coming after her when they should be going after Joel McHale for being an asshole? Like we saw the mayor blow his head off. We saw Coleman Domingo as the principal get screamed at and told to resign. Likely had to flee the city. Likely had to flee the city, had his house vandalized. Joel McHale didn't have to deal with any of that. Sure, his wife left him, but yeah, she should leave you. You're sexting a teenager. Mm -hmm. She absolutely should leave you. Fuck off. But then this narrative gets kind of twisted because obviously when Marty makes the big lie of that like oh well lily did it and also it doesn't matter anyway because joel McHale murders the shit out of him oh does he ever and keeps him in the bathtub um but the the blame all gets put on lily because she is seen as like she's the whore she's the homewrecker so when the the real truth of there's a lot of data coming from lily's house they don't think maybe her parents did it maybe her brother did it they're like nope it's got to be the whore mm-hmm. it's got to be the homewrecker and they all come after her Follow and it the is the breadcrumbs to somebody who's already entangled in the exactly. situation exactly and when lily has her big moment where she does like her like live video where she's like honestly i don't think that it even matters what i did that's not what people are mad about they just like that i'm an easy target cuz i was a target beforehand and i'm going to be a target after mm-hmm. and that is so fucking important like so important they all immediately buy into believing her without doing any sort of interrogation, without any sort of nuance, without any sort of checking, without any sort of, like... You're going to say angry mobs don't really think about what they're doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. I Yes. And it's just so wild to me because, again, when this came out, people were like, it's ridiculous. It's over the top. A lot of people thought that it was, like, too heavy-handed and, like, aggressively liberal. But then we've seen, because of the insurrection, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Like, th- this is life. Satire is dead. This is life. Like, 
even Lily's parents, whom I don't like. I know, it's the dad from Stranger Things and Catherine Irby. <laughs> oh, God, they're, they're really good, but I hate them. They're great, but yeah, they, sh- they suck. They're shit like, parents. They have that scene, like, it is a long scene of when she is, like, held down and has pictures taken by Bill Skarsgård to going home to having her parents interrogate her, saying, did you send these nudes to this married man? And as soon as she admits it, while sobbing and just trying to be like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Her mom says, what is wrong with you? Not blaming him. It's what she did. Yeah. Never once is she like, oh, my God, this is I have so to protect in- my child yeah, it, from like, this man. It does not cross her mind. And it is. And they throw her the fuck out because mm-hmm. they're protecting themselves. Mm hmm. It is it is so bananas that, that that that's how that goes down. But at the same time, not surprising at all. No, and they don't even notice the red flags of their other son who's just like, hey, God, did y'all see that video of that group of tourists who got mauled by like 12 tigers? It was awesome. Right. Like, like he is a walking red, red flag. flag. <laughs> Holy fuck. And okay, um, I don't know if anybody listening to this has seen the Feels Good Man documentary, Oof, which is one rough. of the fucking saddest rough. things I saw last year. Her brother is so like the guys who are into the rare Pepe's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like he is such like a little shithead. He's a little monster. Incel edgelord. Yes. Like he is he is the Elliot Roger. Like he's just that's a lie. He's not Elliot Roger because he doesn't care that much. He's not so invested that he's like, I feel personally attacked, therefore I'm going to like write this manifesto and kill people. He's like, no, I'm just gonna ruin lives because chaos reigns and it's funny. I'm sure, unlike the angry mob, who I bet love to wear a lot of American flag Punisher logos, he's like, man, isn't Joker the best movie ever made? Yeah. Yeah. That's his superhero of choice. That's his goofy anti-hero thing that he's going to hang his hat on. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's definitely that kind of a guy. And it's just, it's so hard to even attempt to unpack this movie because it's saying so many things. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that this is a movie that just gets better and better the more you watch it because you realize how complex it is and how brave it is to have these conversations that no one wants to have, Mm -hmm. especially because we're dealing with a predominantly high school aged cast. Mm -hmm. The Internet has absolutely changed the way that we interact with each other. It has absolutely impacted the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view the world around us. And it is dangerous. Like, it is. I'm not trying to be, like, the no fun club over here. But it is dangerous. And that shit does follow you. And I'm really curious to see what the world is going to be like in, like, 10, 15 years. Because we're getting to a point where people who are going to start becoming eligible for public office will have always had access to the internet. Mm -hmm. Where they will have MySpaces. Where they will have tweets that probably have aged horrifically because they were 15 when they tweeted them. Like, we're going to have to have a massive social reckoning about what's acceptable. Because the problem that we're running into is that we're having people who are young and who want to enact change and want to do things who all of their, like, misdeeds are on public record. Mm -hmm. Not everyone can be Lindsey Graham and pay off a bunch of people and have them sign NDAs so that the truth about his his life doesn't get out. Mm -hmm. Like, that's... Not a world that everybody can afford to be in. And they also don't have the age and the time for that. Like, you can't expect somebody to never have a social media account because one day they might run for office. Like, you don't know where your life is going to take you. Mm-hmm. 
we already had the situation with Katie Hill, who had to resign after her husband, like, leaked her nudes during their divorce. Mm-hmm. That's fucked. Like, she should not have had to do that. That's absolutely ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I know that people like to say, like, oh, it's an inappropriate relationship because of blah, 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 blah. Bill Clinton got to still be president. Like, eat shit. Shut up. Yeah. Like, that's a double standard. And it's we always need the to, woman's fault. It's always the woman's fault. That's, and we kind, have, and that's we have kind of what this movie's that. mostly about. Yes. That's why there is an angry mob of men and women, but the people fighting them at the end of the movie are an angry mob of teenage girls. Mm-hmm. Because they are the ones that get the shittiest end of the stick in this. Mm-hmm. Does this movie deal with complex intersections that I wish it did, like race? No, it doesn't. This is a pretty white movie. Like, obviously, M is is a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Her mom, Nance, is played by Anika Noni Rose, a.k.a. Princess Tiana. She's, She's awesome. awesome and she is so cool in this movie, shooting dudes in her pajamas. Yeah, she's a bad bitch. Um, but... It, it doesn't go into those intersections, mm-hmm. and that's a shame. This movie is very much about gender. Yeah. And I think that it is so important, though, that it exists and that it gets analyzed and that it gets talked about and that we can use this as a way to kind of look at the, the changing landscape of the American teenager because it's not Molly Ringwald anymore. Like, we're not there, and we haven't been there for a very long time. It's closer to Assassination Nation than it ever was. I don't know if I've said this before, but as a teacher, I had junior high students who were pregnant. I had junior high students who were suspended because they were printing out Snapchat nudes from their classmates in school. They are 12. Mm -hmm. Like, it is happening, and we need to stop pretending it's not. And this is not me being like, moral panic. The kids are too sexualized, too young. Like, that's not what's happening. The only thing that has changed between the teenagers of the 1920s and the teenagers now is that there's a fucking paper trail because of the internet. Mm-hmm. Our parents were doing the same wild ass shit as we were. They love to pretend they were not, but they were. Mm-hmm. And we know that. The only difference is now it's on public record. And that is what we need to interrogate is like the reality. We need the nuance. We need the like the conversation that Lily has with the principal. We all need to be having these conversations. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sorry, but I just don't have, like, any sympathy for people that get their shit hacked. For real? Yeah, I mean, there's two types of people in this world, you know? Like, the people that have come to terms with privacy is just dead. And, like, you know, then there's the old people that are still trying to fight it. Well, Harmony, we have had a very intense discussion. I feel like it is appropriate for this film. Yeah, with a lot of feelings and a lot of personal honesty that I hope that our listeners appreciate and can empathize with i should hope so we have like the nicest listeners i think it'll be fine yeah y'all are y'all are the bomb.com so yeah i love that about y'all but and i already know the answer but here we go assassination nation is asking you to the prom is it a yes a no a maybe or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own i feel like more than almost any movie that we've ever covered it is a yes mm-hmm Honestly, I don't know if I don't know if we would be able to live through the night to go to the prom, but I would love to hang out with these this foursome of girls and watch cool Japanese movies. Um, I had to, I had to look up what this film was called that they were watching on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, it is called "Delinquent Girl Boss Unworthy of Penance," and that's why they wear the red jackets. By yes. the way, 
Yeah, because they wear the sick, like, vinyl jackets because the girls in this movie wear, like, these really tight, almost jumpers. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like trench coats. But I love so much about this movie. Honestly, I wish I had more of it, but I'm really satisfied with what I got. This is a pulp film, but it's one of the finest looking pulp films I've ever seen. It is... In so many ways, what I feel like a 2018 version of Heather's is in that mm-hmm. it underperformed at the box office. It was seen as too dark or too violent for the time, but has de- it developed a cult following over time. And I know that for certain people of a certain age, comparing anything to Heather's is like unreasonable because they're like, how dare you? That Heather's is untouchable. Um But no, I think this is what a Heathers would look like in this day and age. And I think it's magnificent. I also think this movie is very funny. We didn't talk about it as much as we probably should. But I love that this movie almost feels like our foursome of girls are trying to have a different movie that they're in. Mm -hmm. And then the plot goes, sorry, you're, you're fucked. This is the movie you're in. Mm-hmm. And up to the end, they're still fighting it when they're watching movies like on the ceiling going, OK, but like if I made movies, I would just make male rape revenge films. And they're just like hanging out and trying to have their own thing. But the world keeps interrupting them. Yeah. And I think that that is a good representation of the teen girl experience. You're just trying to live life and the world is just interrupting you. Yeah. Uh, the line that I love during her closing monologue that Lily has is like, don't be mad at me. I just got here. Yeah. And I love that. That Ugh. is such a good fucking line for anybody who's Gen Z, anyone who's a millennial. It's like, I didn't do this. You fucked this up and you're mad about it and we can tear it down, but you're choosing to be mad about it with me. Mm-hmm. You'd rather ha- your secrets are out and you're lashing out at me because you want to pretend everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> Yeah, this movie's great. I hope that uh, people enjoy this conversation. I know it's an intense one, and those can be hard to listen to, especially given the fact that the world right now is hard to exist in. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do want to take the time and recognize that shit's really fucked right now. And I know a lot of people might be feeling helpless and angry and everything under the sun. And we just want to know that we're with you. And you're not alone in this, and we know things are tough, and we got to remember that so are we. We are also tough, and we're never going to stop fighting because that's what we have to do, whether by machete or whether by by voice, we, we will fight with you. You've got us in your corner with a red vinyl jacket. <laughs> we, we, we love a matching girl squad. <laughs> If you like this episode and you want more of it or you just want to hang out with us on the internet, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. I'm back on Twitter and also Instagram, which I never left, at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, humongous, humongous thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use the song title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want us to listen to this week? So normally when I do our shout outs, I try to find a band that matches like the energy of the movie. And this movie has a really good use of music, as does Euphoria. Um, Forever shouting out 
Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler, the ultimate needle drop in all of film and television. Also shouting out the penultimate episode of Euphoria ending with the theme from Cannibal Holocaust while Cassie looks really, really angry in a window. That is cinema. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Sam Levinson loves his loves his cult films and his, his mm-hmm. cult and his trash. And mm-hmm, it's great. Mm-hmm. I love it. So normally I try to do that, but in light of everything that is happening in the world, I actually want to shout out one of my absolute favorite bands of all time, Gogol Bordello. Hell yeah. They are a uh, gypsy punk band that has been around for over 20 years now. Um, They are fronted and led by Eugene Hutzt, who is a Ukrainian man who immigrated to New York, which the band is mostly based out of, and it's made up either entirely or almost entirely of immigrants. And the whole point of this band is to basically spread Romani and Eastern European music to the world in the way that Nikolai Gogol infiltrated Russia with Ukrainian culture. Mm -hmm. And that's where the band gets its name from. This was like a major eye opener and a big deal for me in high school. Like the album Super Taranta the dominance that it had over my mind. <laughs> it, it was one of the most incredible things I'd ever heard at the time. Um, I'm also a big fan of um, Multi Contra Culti versus Irony, uh, another fantastic one from their earlier albums, but they've never really stopped making music. They have a new album that should be coming out later this year, but all of their stuff is basically about the power of music and the power of culture and the power of community and why someone would immigrate either for hopes of a better life or because you're running away from something. And since Eugene has been saying for probably 10 years now, the dangers of Russia invading Ukraine, I just think that was something really important to shout out from someone who understands this a whole lot better than me and 99% of the people angry on Twitter. I agree completely. Gogol Bordello fucks. They're just a wonderful band and, they are very good, and I think that that is a perfect fit for everything going on. Obviously, like, you don't need us idiot white Americans to say, like, we stand with Ukraine. But if anyone was doubting that, now you have it on record. Mm-hmm. Also, um, if you ever get the chance to see them live, one of the best live shows you can ever see. I almost died the last time I saw them because I saw them at a venue with no air conditioning in the heat of summer and was severely dehydrated and almost passed out in the pit because I was having too much fun. Would it have been worth it? Oh, it so would have been worth it. Hey, if I get trampled during Start Wearing Purple, that's the way I go. <laughs> well, friends, thank you again, as always, for listening. And don't forget, save that last dance for us. I love this song. What song? This one.
This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.